Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. Team. Well, my reputation as Mr. Positive is now officially being put to the test. I've been told I can sell nasal spray to the noseless, and I think that's a compliment. Or maybe it means I'm an idiot. But either way, these rose-colored blue and orange glasses are fogging up as we're down to 12 games left in the season. Can we all find a way to hang in there? I know the answer is very likely no. No, we can't. But still, let's have a nice, upbeat Monday morning podcast best we can we've got the teamwork to make the dream work am i right right yeah that's in the morning that's in the morning oh yeah that's in the morning gonna tell you what the mets are doing while coffee is brewing now here's josh lewin a scootily down question what do the Cubs, Nationals, Angels, Twins, and Mets all have in common? Answer? All of them were thought to be contenders in 2021. None of them are. Those first four teams all sold at the trade deadline. The Mets instead were buyers. The money can't buy you love. Buyers can't buy you a pennant. And the Mets can't buy a break these days as the thoughts of October baseball and flushing are now looking more dim than uh, the original cast of Jersey Shorts. Josh Lewin with you. Not the podcast I wanted to present to start your week. Hey, I didn't want to be five foot six and look like the love child of Scott Bayo and Martin Short either, but what are you going to do? The Braves' sluggish September has left the Mets wondering what if in a very big way right now. All the injuries, the sampler platter of off-the-field nonsense. Hey, the Mets would be right in the thick of it if they just had a couple more big hits this past week when it mattered. Now the Mets are five and a half out with 12 to play. And here's the plan for today. We will walk through the three games against the Phillies just performed at City Field. We will preview the Red Sox series coming up at Fenway. And we will talk about what's next at manager, general manager, and maybe even third base. All right, let's go. As Dan Aykroyd said to John Belushi and Blues Brothers, it's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Friday. Zach Wheeler against Taiwan Walker, and I'll cut to the chase. The Mets dropped a winnable game 4-3. At this point, their fourth straight loss in 7 of 9. Mets got within a run by scoring twice in the eighth against Archie Bradley. They had doubles from Lindor, Conforto, and Pilar. Pilar's came with two outs and ended a 10-pitch at bat, but Ian Kennedy entered the octagon to strike out James McCann, ended the inning, had a four-out save, which the Phillies' threadbare bullpen really needed. The final out was made by Brandon Nimmo, who flied out to the warning track, but at least Nimmo was back, Jack, and he looks good. He met the media on Zoom when it was over. 
Hey, Brandon. Um, first game off the I.L., you didn't skip a beat, and aside from the loss, how did you feel physically? Um, pretty good. You know, obviously it's been 10 days since I've played nine innings. Um, that's actually, well, no, 13. So, um, so you know, it, it, it's it's not just something that you necessarily, like, hop right back into um, and just start like, oh, everything's fine. So um, I am a little bit sore after, just, like, muscle sore, and then, um, you know, I'll expect to be a little bit sore tomorrow as well. But um, everything considered, um, pretty good for the time that, that I missed and, and how quickly I came back. So I'm, I'm happy. Hey, Brandon, given the 13-day layoff you did mention, do you think you can, can come right back and play tomorrow? Do you think you might need some periodic off days as you work your way back into the lineup? Um, I think that's going to be open for conversation um, tonight after the game. Um, they did mention that it would depend on my workload. Um, so that was a four-hour game right there. So um, we'll see what they have to say. Um, but they've been tracking my movement. So... Um, we're trying to take a more um, mathematical and scientific approach to this than just how do you feel, um, and and I'm all for that. And Brandon Nimmo would get right back on the horse on Saturday. We'll take you through that game in just a bit. Overall this season, Nimmo better than a 300 batting average, OPS above 900, mostly batting first and second in the lineup. He's improved in center field a lot. His average sprint speed is better. On the mound in this Friday game, Taiwan Walker had pitched okay, although the pitch-tipping, whistling controversy came back into the spotlight with a pregame segment on SNY. Todd Zeal breaking down the whistling from that five-run inning with the Yankees. He theorized that short whistles meant fastballs, long whistles meant off-speed pitches. I don't know, and it's too late now anyway. The real lead to the Friday story, 15 of the last 17 one-run games for the Mets now have been losses, and that is really the difference between being in pole position for the playoffs and being on the outside looking in. Here's the skipper after the game. We've talked a lot about your team battling, but how do you explain all of these one-run losses? And they're all coming in different shapes, right? Uh, but all tough losses, of course. Uh, we keep battling. We battled to come back. We faced a tough pitcher tonight, and the guys put a lot of good bats to ramp up the pitch count and uh, get the bullpen involved early. Uh, some missed opportunities, right? The, the first and second no out, and uh, when Alvarado came in, fish pitch double play, um, <clears throat> didn't get much going there. But then, you know, once again against Archie Bradley, we pushed and then we scored the two runs to to bring the score back to one and uh, having the, the time run on second base. So. Uh, didn't come true uh, with the uh, with the hit with the clutch hit then and you know with string four straight outs from Kennedy he did a good job as their closer getting four outs uh, but there were some missed opportunities at the beginning that could have given keep giving us a, a, probably a couple more runs right but uh, nothing out of it um, you know and, and there's there's your result I mean, we could have scored more runs and just didn't didn't come through within some opportunities. Is there any part of you that feels discouraged at this point in September? No, we can't. Uh, it's you know they're, they're tough losses, and every every time at this moment that we finish a game and, and we uh, take the loss, like it's tough. You know, it, it, you feel like things are getting away, uh, but you know at the same time you know that there's a real chance. Like I said uh, last time we talked uh, here, and you know I believe in that, and uh, I think everyone in there believes in that as well. And so. Um, you know, what, what we can do is just come back and play our best game tomorrow. We were really close tonight uh, to flipping the score and uh, didn't happen. But, you know, we got we got another chance tomorrow. We got another shot tomorrow. So we, we can't just keep pounding ourselves or carry over 
uh, a negative mindset towards tomorrow's game. We got to come tomorrow with, you know, with our best. Narrator, they did not. At least this one wasn't a heart punch one-run loss. It was a more manageable on your nerves two-run loss on Saturday. Met starter was Carlos Carrasco, whose career totals, he's a little under 500, ERA of 3.9. His team this year, a little under 500, ERA of 3.9. So Carlos Carrasco, you are and always have been the 2021 Mets, right down to being injured for a good part of the year. The Mets have started 18 different pitchers. How many can you name? Sporkle quiz. You ready? We put 30 seconds on the clock. Good luck. Um, Rich Hill, Marcus Stroman, Taiwan Walker, Jacob DeGrom, Tyler McGill, David Peterson, Carrasco, Joy Lucchese, Miguel Castro is an opener, Aaron Loop is an opener, Drew Smith is an opener. Did I say Lucchese? I did. Uh, Jared Eikhoff, Trevor Williams, Robert Gazelman, Corey Oswald. Oh, time. Not bad. The others we were looking for were Tommy Hunter, Jordan Yamamoto, Jake Reed, and Robert Stock. Robert Stock. Going forward, the uncertainty surrounding DeGrom is only going to underscore how important it is to get another frontline starter in for next year. And we don't know if Stroman is coming back. He's got impending free agency. Syndergaard can hit free agency. Mets might be inclined to extend him a qualifying offer that would limit their liability. You got Robbie Ray out there, Kevin Gossman out there, obviously Max Scherzer. They'll all be free agents with the Mets looking that direction. Walker and Carrasco both under contract for next year. David Peterson expected back. Anyway, uh, notable moments from the Saturday game. Gene Segura continues to put his feet up on the furniture at City Field. The veteran second baseman with his first two home run game in a little more than five years. And now this year, four of his 14 home runs are at City Field. Career at 41 Seaver Way, 373 batting average, 17 runs batted in in 21 games. Jeez. He joins Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna Jr., Austin Riley, and Ozzie Albies as the only players with at least 10 home runs against the Mets since 2019. He is the outlier on that list. Big thing in this game was a fifth-inning foul ball by Carrasco when he batted. That triggered some bad vibrations that hurt his thumb, so much so that he had trouble gripping the ball when he got back on the mound, so Luis Rojas pulled him after six innings, two runs, and 82 pitches. And in the seventh inning, that was supposed to belong to Carrasco. When the Phillies needed a put-away punch, who else coiled his fist but Bryce Harper? May deals again. Line drive, and that is a base hit down the right field line. Galvis around third to score. Herrera will score. Harper in with a two-run double at second. And the Phillies have broken it open. It's now 5-1 to one, Philadelphia. Ed Coleman had the call on WCBS. I-, I think this guy's MVP, don't you? Not Ed, although we love Ed, but Bryce Harper. Back in March, 100 MLB.com experts made their MVP choices. Harper received one vote out of 100. But when we talk about MVP conversation here, it helps that the field is cleared out. DeGrom got hurt. Acuna got hurt. Lindor's had an underwhelming first Mets season. Bellinger had a terrible season. Betts has had a down season. Yelich has had a bad back. Seager has struggled. Freeman is just good, not great. And as much as you look at the other league, Vlad Guerrero doing historic things in Toronto, the highest OPS in baseball this year does not belong to Vlad Guerrero or Tatis or Otani. It is Bryce Harper, who in this game extended his hitting streak to 14 with a single in the first inning. He's hitting 426 in that time, 16 runs batted in 
in 14 games. Overall war, he leads the National League at 6.3. Tatis is 5.9 and just got yelled at by his teammate Manny Machado. Trey Turner third at 5.6. If I had a vote, pains me to say it, it's Harper. Anyway, it was 5-1, to one, then 5-2. to two. Mets getting a little bit closer and then closer even still with this. The pitch... That's hit deep in the air by Nimmo in the right field. Harper going back, looking up. It's gone. Home run, Brandon Nimmo. Number six on the season for Nimmo. And the Mets get a little bit closer. It's now 5-3 Philadelphia. Nimmo also had a triple in this one. The Mets' second triple in their last three games, fifth of the month, eighth since August 16th. And that uh, was when the Mets... We're working on 68 games, a major league record without a triple. Now they're all over the place with them. 14 triples only, though, this season. And that is tied for an all-time low for the Mets in a full season. Love that Nimmo is back, looking healthy, producing. He's part of the solution, not the problem. The original Mr. Smile. He's a keeper. Alonzo's a keeper. Lindor at $341 million is an obvious keeper. Everyone else is part of a replacement-level grab bag at this point. Carrasco, uh, well, the Mets are keeping him, but what's up with the first inning issues? A home run by Segura on the sixth pitch of the game. That gets his first inning ERA down from 15 to 14.4. rest of the time, he's at two and a half. Fifth straight loss, and the average time a game in these bad boys, three hours, 51 minutes. You know what you can do in three hours, 51 minutes? You can watch the movie Step Brothers twice. And still have enough time left over to write a short fan fiction about how Dale and Brennan take prestige worldwide international. That's what I would do. So, on to Sunday, hoping for a win, or at least maybe a little snappier pace to the proceedings anyway. Rich Hill, old enough that Al Roker will be announcing his next birthday on the Today Show. Up against the trade deadline pickup Kyle Gibson. And at this point, the Mets 36-52 and 52 after starting 36-25. and 25. And Rich Hill pitched well. You're going to get some good news out of this podcast finally here. Seven strikeouts in his four and two-thirds innings allowed two runs. One when Harper blew through a stop sign, and he scored on a soft fly ball to center. The other one, well, when he crushed a fly ball to center to chase home a teammate on a sack fly. Rich Hill removed in the fifth after 86 pitches. Wanted to keep going, you could tell. But with the runner at second, Real Muto coming up. Hey, Real Muto is one for 20 lifetime against Familia, so I get the move. And Familia struck him out on three pitches. And the guy who batted in that nine spot in the bottom of the inning actually got it done. Dom Smith pinch hitting for Familia off the bench, yanked a slider into the right field corner, scored two runs. I got a hill off the hook. Mets and Phillies now tied 2-2. Mets with the most pinch hit RBIs in all of baseball this year, 47 of them. The tie would be broken by the squirrel in the bottom of the seventh. Kyle Gibson still on the mound. Unusual for him, usually a six-inning guy. But first batter of the seventh, McNeil, with his first home run since the first day of August. What a time for that. About 150 at-bats in between home runs. Aaron Loop, for the fourth time this year, got four outs out of the pen, lowered his ERA to one on the nose, which calls for one for the road. Bush Light, I believe. To the ninth, up 3-2. Sound the trumpets. Edwin Diaz gets the pinch hitter Odubel Herrera, but then he hits Freddie Galvis to bring up Mets killer, yeah, Gene Segura. Already two hits in this one. Once had a walk-off homer off Diaz a couple years ago in Philly, but Segura strikes out on a full count. Harper with a 14-game hit streak on the line. 
Hits a very high fly ball to pretty deep left. Who else is there but the squirrel? Who says he can't play left field? Makes the catch. Mets win a one-run game, 3-2. to two, But they're still pretty much out of it here because Atlanta won on Sunday as well. In fact, got a cycle out of Eddie Rosario, who needed only five pitches to get the four hits. That is remarkable. So the Phillies, they're hanging tough. Probably not going to get the wild card, but they are right there with the division-leading Braves. Now, they are two games out, and uh, again, those two teams are going to meet in Atlanta in the season's final week. All right, so on deck for the Mets after an off day today. They are shipping up to Boston. Yes, they dropkick Murphy's, edumacated us. One shuffles off to Buffalo. One ships up to Boston. And the Red Sox are in the middle of the AL East thing, fighting to the death with the Yankees and the Blue Jays for one of two wild card spots if Oakland doesn't grab it first. The Red Sox are good, but they're not perfect. In fact, sometimes they are sloppy. They can play with their heads up their butts. So it's not a simple case of bad defense or the lack of starting pitching depth. It's not just that COVID-19 is just roaring through their clubhouse, which raises all kinds of questions unrelated to the actual playing of baseball. It's that these guys have had their chance to cement their standing as a playoff team. They simply haven't done it yet. They've been really good at home. That scares you. You know, we've spent so much time lately on the 86 World Series from the Mets perspective. I'm always interested in hearing it from the Boston perspective. I got to work Red Sox games on radio for a year not too long ago, and that was a topic of conversation for sure. It was a a World Series where the home team lost the first four games, then won the final three. Fifteen different pitchers could have ended that World Series in the ninth inning of Game 6 in Boston's favor. And some of the names on their roster, Marty Barrett, who struck out to end it in Game 7, heady player. He's the guy that pulled off the hidden ball trick three times and once stole home. Don Baylor had the big home run in the Hindu game in Anaheim in 86 in the ALCS. In the World Series for Boston uh, in 86, Minnesota in 87, Oakland in 88. Pretty nice run. Don Baylor was fearless. He would stand at home plate and yell at a reliever coming in to face him. He'd say, you're the guy. You're the guy I've been waiting for since batting practice. Loved Bill, or, uh, Don Baylor. And Bill Buckner. He's next in my mind here uh, for obvious reasons. Bill Buckner was a battler too. During the ninth inning of Game 5 of that ALCS that we were just talking about in Anaheim, you go back and watch the tape, he was screaming obscenities at Mike Witt before singling off him to start that big rally. That was, uh, that was clutch. Dwight Evans. Tremendous right fielder with a cannon arm. You go back to the 75 World Series. What a play he made. One-handed stab of what uh, would have been a, uh, a Joe Morgan home run in the 11th that set up Carlton Fisk's dramatic walk-off. Dave Henderson. I mean, they would have had a, a personal duck boat parade for Dave Henderson had the Sox won Game 6 of that 86 World Series. Maybe a statue of him. gap tooth grin and all at Faneuil Hall. He was huge. And Jim Rice. Guy that was strong as an ox. Very stylish dresser, I learned. Jim Ed Rice. Several times broke his bat on a check swing. That's how strong he was. And he never lifted a weight in his life, they said. Whitey Herzog was once asked how he'd position his outfield against Rice. He said, what I'd really like to do is put two guys on top of the Sitco sign and one in the net. Never took a day off. Once had his wisdom teeth out in the morning and he played that night. I I never could have done that. In the bullpen, we, we like to make fun of Calvin Schiraldi and Bob Stanley, uh, but two pretty good guys. Bob Stanley, the steamer, always mixed so well with the Boston fans. His big thing was popping beach balls with the bullpen rake, like it was a, a sacred sacrifice or something. And obviously, Roger Clemens, 
He had that 20 strikeout game against the Mariners earlier that year. Mike Eastler dropped a foul pop at first base that allowed for 20 instead of 19. And uh, all of Boston was otherwise distracted that night, by the way. At Boston Garden, it was playoff basketball. It was Larry Bird against Dominique Wilkins. Bruce Hurst, we got to talk about. The fun-loving lefty was going to be MVP of the 86 World Series till it all fell apart. And Al Nipper. <laughs> Al Nipper threw at Daryl Strawberry spring training of 87 after Straw had strolled around the bases on his World Series Game 7 home run the previous October. All right, so that's uh, a little look at the Boston series, or at least a look back at Boston. A couple more morsels on which to chew before we get out of here. Let's talk manager and general manager. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic suggested a Billy Bean-Bob Melvin package deal. Billy Bob. He wrote, imagine what these two imported from Oakland could do with a Steve Cohen-financed roster after, in Ken's words, guiding the underfunded A's to the playoffs six of the last nine years. It's an interesting thought. Bean is 59. Of course, you know him from the book and the movie Moneyball. Steve Cohen's a hedge fund manager. Would probably find him a kindred spirit. And Melvin, Bo Mel, another 59-year-old guy, three-time manager of the year. The players always love him. And and I know, two middle-aged white guys, two 59-year-olds. Mets had their chance to get creative GM-wise not too long ago. Kim Ng. I think would have been a heck of a hire. Mets wouldn't do it when the Wilpons were still in charge. She would have been a groundbreaking hire. She's really qualified and sharp. But whoever the GM is going forward, here's one more thought before we get out of here. Carlos Correa, as you may know, is a free agent, former number one overall pick, World Series champion. He just came out this past weekend and said he'd be willing to play third base, not shortstop going forward. Kind of like A-Rod many years ago. I bring that up. Because the Mets' third-base defense this year tied for last in the majors with the Angels and the Royals. So whether or not Baez can be re-signed to play second, how about Correa at third is a thought. And if you do re-sign Baez too, think about that. That galaxy of free agent shortstops from back in March, the Mets would have three of the six. That would be, to coin a phrase, amazing. You know who else is amazing? The Mets in the Morning House Band. On keyboards, Dave Magadan. Slapping to base, Garrett Olson, remember him? The horn section, Richard Hidalgo. And that drum beat. Oh, yes. Thank you, Carlos Payerga. This is Josh Lewin thanking you for tuning in. Take care. We'll do it again tomorrow. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.